everybody, and welcome to the Ace Football Academy. The Ace Football Academy podcast is brought to you by the ANC Car Wash, family and locally owned here in Richmond, Kentucky. Please make sure you go see them for all your car washing needs. We We are talking with Coach Glenn Alpert from up in the D.C. area. Is that what you said, Coach? Is that correct? Northern Virginia. Awesome. We just had a great conversation about tryouts. We're going to switch gears a little bit, Coach, and I mentioned your resume earlier. earlier, Highly decorated. Uh, You've done lots of different things. One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times now is ODP. You coach there, you evaluate there. ODP is just kind of starting to really gain them here in our area. I have personally, I have two players that play for our Kentucky ODP team. So just real quickly, give us what is ODP and what is the ultimate goal of ODP? Sure. Um, so I, I will give you kind of two perspectives. One is there is really an official, like there is an official mission statement and, and, you know, value statement of what ODP is. And then I can kind of give you my perspective on what my personal opinion, because I work in it. So, so ODP is basically, it's an environment where players can, can train with other top players from around their state or around, or well, Virginia is divided up into districts. So the first level is to train with top players from your district who are on different teams to get exposed to some of the top coaches in your district who, again, coach different teams. And if ODP is designed, so if you're at the top of that selection group, then you have the potential to be selected for the next layer of the pyramid, which is the state pyramid. Again, train with uh, players who are among the best in the state, coaches who are among the best in the state. If you're at the top of that pyramid, you get to try out for the region, and it goes all the way up until there is a national uh, selection for ODP players. So I've been involved in the, in the district in terms of coaching and the state in terms of evaluator. I've not coached on the state level or been a region evaluator. I'm familiar with the process, but I, ha- I can't speak from firsthand experience. So now kind of stepping out of the role that I play in it, but as an outside observer, players participate in ODP for a lot of different reasons. So ODP has one kind of focal point mission statement. But if you ask the players, there's a lot of different reasons that they're participating in it. One is it may be a su- for when you show up in it. So first of all, this is very dependent on which state you're in, what part of the state you're in. And a lot of it, the level of the, the level of the ODP program that you're in will almost always reflect the level of soccer that exists in the area outside of ODP. The number of clubs, the number of players, the number of coaches, the quality of the coaches, the quality of the players, the quality of the clubs, those things. So you're not going to show up in an area where there may be not so many soccer clubs or highly qualified coaches and then all of a sudden see a lot of top highly qualified coaches there if they, if they, because they're drawn from the club base kind of comes before ODP because that's who the staff and that's where the players are drawn from. So some players use ODP as, as a training supplement to say, hey, I'm going to participate in the district training. I have a busy schedule over the winter, so I'm not going to think about state tryouts or I'm at high school level. I'm going to do indoor track or I'm going to do other things. So they use it as a supplement. Other players, for them, they look at that pyramid and they look at, wow, this is an avenue that I can go as I can try to go as far as I can in that pyramid. I want to progress to the state level. I want to see if I can progress to the region level. For some players, let's say that they're on a team where they don't get they don't get exposure to 
higher level, higher quality. Maybe they're the best player on their team. They live a little bit further out from where there is a lot of clubs to choose from. Hey, I'm going to get really high quality coaching I'm not exposed to. I'm going to get really, I'm going to get to train and compete with high quality players that, that I'm not challenged. Maybe my team isn't as challenging as I would like it to be, but I don't have a choice because this is the team that I'm a part. And, and it also like allows a player to do some goal setting over a number of years. So from U9 to U11, we have the developmental program, which is really a training and development program. U12 is the first year that they start selecting for state ODP pool, and then it goes all the way up to U17. So clubs come and go, teams come and go. Coaches who coach club teams come and go. But for, for states that do have an established you know system of ODP program, that player can do goal setting and try to rise up that pyramid all the way from U12 all the way up to U17, um, which is a consistent environment that they can expect from year to year. And ODP does not conflict because it's in the summer and the winter. Is that correct? So it doesn't conflict um, with schedule. Sure. So for at least uh, in, in Virginia, training for dis- the district training is Sunday evenings. It's later after games are finished. So you will train twice. If you have a game, you'll go and train. Get a break, get a break for part of the day, and then you go train. The state ODP is typically Saturday mornings, Saturday mornings, early afternoon over the winter. And then once there is usually a couple of of ID tournaments, like there'll be a couple of tournaments or friendlies against, say, like Georgia or or I, I think they, they do one central in Virginia, one in North Carolina, where a few different states are invited. Yeah, those are typically just went to St. Louis. Like, yeah, so uh, they'll it'll be within the region. It'll be within the same you know region of the U.S. Yeah, typically, and so they'll do in Virginia. We'll do one in North Carolina. There might be one. There's one here in Virginia, and then maybe one in Maryland, and they'll play against some other states around when spring break is usually like sometime in March. Around then. ODP finishes for the year. And then if you're invited or evaluated to do region, then then you'll go to some kind of a camp over the summer and they'll evite, evaluate you okay. against other top players in other states for the region pool, you know, for next year. Very, very so interesting they, they, try to, they try to do a good job of doing it at a time when it will have the least amount of conflict. So Sunday evenings and Saturday, Sunday evenings in the fall and Saturday mornings, early afternoon in the winter. Awesome. Coach, let's switch gears one more time. Coach Glenn Alpert with us on Ace Football Academy here. Coach, I have thoroughly enjoyed following your takes on the U.S. men national team on Twitter. Lots going on with them from, you know, Win Nations League to now participating in the Gold Cup currently at the time of this recording. So I guess the biggest thing we could talk about, we'll talk about the team and their play Sure, but for sure. One of the things I want to ask you about, because I think everybody has an opinion on this one way or another, what do you think about our boy Greg Burhalter being back in the saddle? I think so. This is kind of my thought on it is we have a World Cup coming up in four years that's going to be played here. This is a, this is like when I, when World Cup 94 came around. I don't know. I, I don't know what grade I was in, but, you know, I was a little kid. But that was a big watershed year because that's what kicked off MLS. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, those those come around once every 30 something years that we're going to host here. And, and, you know, all eyes on us. It's a big opportunity for investors, for just like teams to start up, for leagues to start, for more interest in the soccer. 
soccer is not, we know soccer is not the number one sport in the U.S. And anytime we can get that amount of attention and that amount of anything eyes on us, it's good for the sport. So I, I think when, when there was a decision about who are we going to bring is, is the head coach. This is just my, you know, in the back of my head here. Absolutely. When, when it was a decision about here are the choices when U.S. soccer puts out, okay, we're interviewing for the head men's coach position. I'm sure they got some interest for some people. So those are the ones that just like at a tryout, you can only choose the players that show up to the tryout. You can only choose from the, play, the, the coaches that wanted to interview. And I think they looked at all the coaches and said, we, this is really important for us. Um, we could t- if, if we bring on a new coach, we're taking some kind of a risk because we don't know the outcome. We don't know. Will, will their style match? Will they not match? Will they get along? Players not. I think Berhalter already showed that he had a successful, whatever whatever he it was that his style was about when you coach a national team, there's about 500 things that you have to manage. I think what they thought is, is he's probably the lowest risk option. Is he, is he the absolute greatest coach out of every single person that they interviewed? I don't know who they interviewed, <laughs> right? But he may, he may or may not be. But I think, I think you have to look from a, like a, also a risk management perspective is this is really important. And so we want to go with something that is proven, proven commodity that we know that he did a fairly decent job. Get, I, think, I think they probably performed above expectations. If we looked at, it, at, at the team the last four years and growing into this, into last, into December's World Cup, you know, I think, I think that, that he did a fairly good, I, I'm not a, World Cup men's soccer like fanatic where I follow everything that they do. But I think people were fairly happy with the job that they did. And so th- th- this is this is where my thing comes in. So so okay, let's say that we let's say there's a group of if you go to the the FIFA website and you look at the men's rankings and you look at where the US is and you look at all the teams that are above us, there's a group of countries which we would call football nations or soccer nations or right. whatever you want to call them. There is no country above us where soccer comes second in terms of their like sporting culture. So that's okay. I mean, that it, we are where we are, but what's our plan next time we have to play the Netherlands in an elimination game? Yeah. How are we going to improve? And the thing for me is these gold cup games and uh, nations league games, and they're all part of what we have to play, but are they really preparing us to play? We're going to rematch if we have the same success in the in this next World Cup that we had in the previous World Cup, which we've we've kind of proven ourselves at the group stage, we're able to get through the elimination rounds. But once we get into the top sixteen, I feel like we have to kind of get lucky and hope we match get matched up with like like a Poland or a Switzerland or some country that's that's you know is still a strong. These are strong teams and their players are all playing in you know Champions League or something. But but as soon as we get matched up with one that's ahead of us. It's like we don't have any answers for that. Yeah. Well, and and I love that yeah. you bring that up because I agree wholeheartedly. And I think we're at the point now where the U.S. is the dominant team in CONCACAF. You know? Maybe we proved it. Yeah. Maybe we and, proved it. And they should be. They just nation league pretty, you know, used to be us and Mexico. I don't know what has happened with Mexico, but we are just heading right now, I think. But I think for the next step, for U.S. soccer game-wise is, and you've mentioned several times, is playing those non-CONCACAF teams. 
you know, their next step is, can I compete in the Copa America? You know, can we compete with the Brazils and those, those types of things? I I think our, I think our next step is, I don't know how many years it was ago, but you know, we played a game against Ecuador and man, Ecuador really, maybe we won, or maybe it was a tie, man, Ecuador had some strong players that really challenged our, our U S men's team in a way that really threw them off. It's like, it's like, I, I think, you know, you just look, okay, we, we were, you know, at the forefront of CONCACAF. Now can we look at South America? We st- can we start playing, you know, more like Venezuela, Colombia, you know, Argentina. I mean, Argentina is Argentina, but l- let's take Brazil and Argentina out of it. Mm-hmm. But let's say this. If we played in a Nations League or Gold Cup type tournament against all South American teams, except for Brazil and Argentina, would we win it hands down? I don't think so. Yeah. Would we, would we do well? I mean, it, we just have to, that's where you just have to play the games. It's, it's not worth projecting. You just have to play the games. But I feel like that level of competition playing, you know, against if we divided the, the South American teams into a top half and a bottom half, I think we'd clear the bottom half pretty handily. But the top half, you know, Uruguay, uh, Uruguay, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, you know, Bolivia is kind of here or there, Chile, Chile, right? So, like, those are those are some of the c- countries, like, I don't think we're we're not going to set our sights on Argentina and Brazil just yet. I mean, if we had to play them, are we going to go compete 100%? Absolutely. But I think, like, let's let's look at the next the next tier up. It's the same in youth soccer. Let's say you're in division, t- you're in division three, you're ready to go up to division two. You don't go from division three to division one yeah. or. Or maybe we can start playing some more European opponents. Maybe we can start playing, you know, some of the more powerhouses and lose and see what we need to work on or see here are the weaknesses of our players. And then we can figure that out. You want to play the best to see that competition just yeah. as you said, because it can be used as a great evaluation tool for where you are as a program. Um, of course, we're talking U.S. men's national team. So where you are as a national program, but really you can do that across all levels of soccer like cutter cutter is playing or qatar cutter is playing in the gold cup or i I think they're playing they're playing in the gold cup as like a guest participant right we should be playing in south american competitions that are being played in hostile environments yeah absolutely coach you go one just kind of fun question we're asking a lot of our guests coach if you had to pick for it club soccer team who who are you a big fan of and why why that team so i get that question a lot and actually i have coaches that i like so if i move out of the way you'll see my two favorite coaches okay alex ferguson and pep guardiola however the two of them would not be caught alive in the same room together you know (laughs) unless it was at some kind of coaches like award ceremony or something and the reason is, is because, you know, I follow, I, there are things that about Alex Ferguson's coaching style that I love, like his, his leadership and kind of the, the psychology, the psychology of the competitiveness of getting it, like every training session when he was coaching at Man United was so intense that it was harder than the game and the games became easy because they were used to. So like the res- mental resilience they need to, to beat Bayern Munich you know, down one zero with five minutes left in the Champions League when they won that that year, like the resilience it takes to score two quick goals and not give up the whole game, mm-hmm. things like that. So the mental side of it, I think Alex Ferguson, like I really like like that. 
the, the training, the t technique and tactical stuff, I, I'm a Pep Guardiola fan, is just because he really, he innovated. He had, the, he had players at his disposal that, that he realized that he could take to that next level. And he, he's really such an innovator. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a possession. I say on my Twitter, I'm an advocate for possession soccer. Right. As you get to the higher levels, you don't see teams. If you're not playing possession, there's some level. And if you're not play, playing possession soccer, I'm talking about the professional level. Yeah, high school it's different. High school it's different, but as you get up to the the real higher levels of the game, if you're not playing, if you're not able to keep the ball, you can't get up a certain threshold of the game. And yeah. so, well, I, yeah. And to your point, that possession soccer, even I don't know how it is for you guys up there, but even for us, the best teams in our state are the teams that are able to possess the soccer ball. There's a, there's kind of it, it's interesting and. After coaching this, I'm very analytical the way that I think. It's like I like to try to figure out everything. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, uh, a pie chart that I made where I went before a playoff started. I looked back and I, I looked on four times or eight times speed on all of our games, on, on our recordings. And I looked at every time the other team had a scoring opportunity or a potential scoring opportunity. And these were like three quarters of it was like, Big, fast, strong player did something. It was a long service into the box. It was, it was a long service, long cross, long shot, long something. A direct dribble, meaning, okay, back four is set up. Somebody just said, hey, I'm going to just dribble in. Right. And maybe, maybe something happens and something else happens, and then there's a scramble, and then someone gets a shot on a goal. There's a direct, you know, or it's, a, it's some kind of a set piece. It's a corner, it's a free kick, and that is what causes it. If you take those out, that's probably about two thirds, if not three quarters of all the scoring opportunities. Oh, oh, the other one was we gave the ball away in a key area. Mm -hmm. Key area is if you give the ball away in your back third or if you give the ball away in the middle third, immediate counter. Right. Hey, we have our strike. We have strikers or center forwards or wingers or somebody. We have our best attacking player waiting there. And if if we steal the ball from you in the middle, why are we going to put We're going to pass, you know, pass it or send it. More, more often than not, send it to that player. That accounts that accounted for almost three quarters of the scoring opportunities against us were something of those four or five areas. Yeah, is that possession soccer? No. Is it effective? Yeah, it's effective. Mm -hmm. But, but when you get to, if you look at the teams that got to the the state tournament, you know, in in every state there's like one A, two A, three A different categories of size schools, and so I coached for Fairfax High School. We're in six A. And even at 6A, where there's very large high schools. However, once you get into the state tournament, which is really the last eight, the final eight, basically, you don't see any teams that do that anymore. Yeah. Is there some of that? Sure, there's some of that. But right. you don't, it, is every team playing pure tiki-taka style? That, no, they're not. Yeah. But you, there, there's a, once you get to that top level of, of the competition arena, you don't see teams that just direct and all that stuff anymore so it gets you to a certain level but doesn't get you all the way absolutely coach well, coach we really appreciate you coming on with us and so the response we received from coaches like yourself has been great so we appreciate you coming on with us yeah and i guess if i had to you know finish with one point is tryout situations are are not easy for players and not easy for parents at times they're not easy for coaches we often have to be the bearer of bad news right. that's just part of and as the kids get older 
it's harder and harder to get uh, an eight or nine year old is, is going to, you know, take them for ice cream and then they're okay the next day and they go maybe do another try it or they figure a team out. But as the players get older, it's, it, it's, it's harder to do as a coach because you're talking to an older developed young adult or teenager rather than an eight year old who, like I said, they're usually wake up the next morning and they're okay about it. And, and at the older ages, they're making decisions. Are they still going to play soccer? Are they not going to play soccer? And so it's, it's a lot more impactful because they're getting to that age. But I'd say the most important part as a coach is be really, really clear to the players and also your coaching staff and who your evaluators are and, and parents and, and yourself. Where is your cutoff and, wh- and, and why is that your cutoff? Awesome. Because there's going to be one player who is your last, last player that you selected and one player is your first player who you didn't select. Yeah. And that's always the hardest decision. So just think a lot about that as you're going into trial situations. I love it. Thank you so much, Coach. We really appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. If you are interested in coming on and have a topic you'd like to discuss, please make sure you reach out to us. We are on Facebook at the Ace Football Academy. As always, please go and give us our five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. We are brought to you by the ANC Car Wash here in Richmond, Kentucky, locally owned and operated. Please make sure you go see them for all your car washing needs. Coach Dunham and Coach Hamilton, we are the Ace Football Academy.